So I wanna, I wanna jump in with this. I'm just gonna go right in. Um, when it comes to churches and just organizations in general, um, organizations, healthy ones and healthy churches are going to have a value system. Healthy churches, healthy organizations are going to have a mission. They're going to have values. Healthy churches and organizations are going to have a vision. And I, I, wanna, I wanna just walk through this very quickly, real quick. If you could throw up this slide with mission, vision, values. A mission is this, why we exist. A vision is who we are and who we aspire to be. Values, the, pri the priorities which drive the mission to the vision. That, that, that's our take on these three. You can leave it up just for a second. Mission, the bottom line, why we exist. Vision, who we are, who we are and who we aspire to be. If you are here during our Here and Now series leading into our Heart for the House offering, I broke down our whole vision statement and showed you um, the blending of who we are and what part of it is actual, what part of it is aspirational. And I'll, I'll show you that vision statement here in a second. Here's what we have so far as a church. We have worked so hard on developing core values and a vision. And if you could throw up this next one real quick, our vision statement is here. We are a Christ-centered, spirit-led, kingdom-building movement committed to the physical and spiritual renewal of cities and nations, restoring hope and purpose to every Every person. If you want a full breakdown of that, go check out that sermon in our Here and Now series. I won't read through all of the core values, but we spent a year um, leading up to our name change a few years ago as a church coming up with these core values. You'll hear us throw these out quite often uh, about our core value of we live to give, our core value of we give our best to the next generation. These truly are the, the backdrop, the backboard, if you will, to every decision that we make. But leading into this year, there was one component of the three I put on the, on the screen a few minutes ago that we've been missing, a mission statement. Now, I wanna be clear. Um, I, I don't think things rise and fall off of statements that you put up on a wall. I think a statement is only a real statement when it makes a statement and when it's actual. And so I have been, I mean, Mandy and I have been praying and praying and praying. God, what is the bottom line statement that you have for our church and what we exist for? The bottom line of what we exist for as a church to where every function, every ministry, every person on our staff and volunteers and even attendees will know in conversations in our city when someone says, tell me about Citizen Church, you'll be able to respond and say, this is who we are. Been praying and seeking and what I've found, obviously, studying through the New Testament, my passion is the church. What we just sang a second ago. Everything is about the church in the New Testament. The entire New Testament is about one thing. Here it is. The story of the Holy Spirit empowering the church of Jesus Christ to restore and redeem the world. That is it. The entire story of the New Testament is about the Holy Spirit empowering us the church of Jesus Christ, to restore and redeem the world. I wanna show you very quickly the emphasis in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the stories of Jesus' life, ministry, his offer of salvation through the cross, his resurrection, and his plan to build the church. Don't miss that component of the Gospels. Jesus spent so much time telling the disciples, when I'm gone, I'm sending you someone, and you're gonna build something. Right? The book of Acts, which comes next, is the story of the first days of the church and the high value put on the church. The entire book, 
Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians are all letters of instruction and encouragement written to specific churches. These are the books of the New Testament. 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, 1, 2, 3, John, Jude are all, are all written either by or to leaders of churches. The book of Revelation is the story of the future church and Jesus coming back for his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. You cannot read the New Testament and take from it that Christianity is an individual sport. Your relationship with God, yes, you are saved individually by God, but how we walk out our Christian life, this is not about individual Christianity. There's no such thing. This is a family, the church, the gathering, the people of God bringing heaven to earth now while we wait to go to heaven later on. That's what we're supposed to do. The church is not a human in invention. It is a divine institution. I, I, I'll be, I, can I just be passionate and real with you guys today? I have, I get, I get mad. Sometimes, rarely. <laughs> I get mad when I see things on social media when people go, the church is just a human invention. No, there's nothing in history that suggests that outside of the Bible, and there's nothing in history inside the Bible that suggests that. This is not at all a human invention. It is a divine institution that Jesus himself set up through his Holy Spirit, and he was explicit about it. It's who we are. I mentioned a few months ago that I got the opportunity to go to Greece with a group of pastors. It was a, it was a trip that was completely paid for. We went all through Greece in, in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, and toward the end of the trip, we were encouraging missionaries and, and church planters in Greece. It was, a, it was the trip of a lifetime. It was amazing. But there was one odd component about this trip that I don't think I've shared on a Sunday. I was the only one out of 30 pastors on this trip that was not a church planter within the last three years. Not only am I not a church planter, I inherited this church from my parents, who were the senior pastors before us, and this church is 91 years old. 91 years old. So people on the trip, when we would go, they're like, so where do you pastor, Albuquerque? So when did you plant? Well, our church was planted in 1932. But, you know, they're like, what? So your dad's not even founding pastor? They're like, I hope not, he's not that old. No, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. So, I <laughs> don't kill me later. Okay, so. But I was wondering on this trip, why am I here? And I didn't even find out until the very last day, and I'll, I'll tell you in a second. Why am I here? There was a day we were on this trip where we were in Corinth, and they took us down to this non-touristy place, and because they just discovered things that, that validate this location. And we actually have a, a clip from, that I'll, I'll show behind me. It was a port that we came up to on the, on the sea in Corinth, and on the other side of the sea is Ephesus, and there's a piece of the New Testament where Paul and his companions, the Apostle Paul and his companions, set out from this exact port where we gathered that day. The ruins are still there, and you look across this body of water past those mountains, and you can see Turkey. You can see where Ephesus was, and this teacher that we had here that day, he um, was traveling with us and had a doctorate from the University of Jerusalem. He was just fascinating, and he sat down, and he just he set the stage of what happened right here. He said, can you imagine? He said, for all of you church planters, and I'm like, except me, you know? <laughs> for all of you church planters, and you're getting in this boat, Paul is about to go across, doesn't know what's ahead of him. This is a launch point. 
He said, many of you are in launch points right now in your ministries and you don't know what lies ahead because what lied ahead for Paul was a mob, beatings. It was not immediate success. This is a launch point. And halfway through it, the, the, all, all through this talk, I'm sitting there, I'm holding up my phone recording, first of all, because I'm like, I'm not gonna miss this. And halfway through it, I just start praying. I was like, God, why am I here? Because this is what's interesting. For the longest time growing up in high school and even college, I feel like God placed in me a pioneering spirit, a starting spirit. For a long time, I thought for sure that God was going to explicitly call us, Mandy and I, to plant a church somewhere else. Not because I don't like this church. This, I love this church, obviously. I'm pastoring with every bit of my fiber and being. I love Albuquerque. I never had the, the personality of like, I wanna get out of this city. I love this city. I love it. But I just felt like, God, you gave me this pioneering spirit to go and start. But then the closer it got to this transition for us to pastor the church, I just knew explicitly God was saying, no, you're gonna stay. You're gonna stay. And I wasn't even disappointed but I was just always confused. I always felt like God put two God dreams inside of me that do this. One is go pioneer and plant and start new things, but I want you to stay in Albuquerque with a struggling economy. Stay in Albuquerque that is literally a desert and spiritually where child well-being is last in the entire nation. Stay here. Okay, and I'm trying to reconcile all of this. In the middle of this guy talking, I'm saying, God, will you just speak to me? Have you ever been in one of those desperate moments where you're saying, I need clarity, God, I need and I, clarity. And halfway through this, I felt God start to speak to me the answer of why. We got back on the charter bus, and this is the exact journal I had. And right here on this page, I wrote out everything that I'm about to tell you that I felt like God speak to, spoke to me on that, on that bus ride. I put in headphones, we started driving, and I pulled out my pen, and I just started writing. And this is what I felt like God said, kind of all condensed into a sentence, specifically to me. I called you to stay so I can call others. To, I cry every time I read this. I called you to stay so I can call others to go. Be a Paul, raise up church leaders, and build the church. I called you to stay so I can call others to go. The pioneering spirit is to set others up to run. How do you leverage 90 years of history and strength? Send people out. Build churches in hard to reach places. Send them out. Expand, grow, do ministry. And everything is built within the church. We are here. We exist to build the church. So out of this, out of this, came our brand new mission statement as a church and it's written on the wall out there if you're, if you're here watching in Albuquerque and this is the statement they'll put up on the screen. Our mission statement, our bottom line of why we exist is this. We partner with God in building the church among all people everywhere. Simple, strong, that's it. We partner with God in building the church among all people everywhere. Why can it be this simple? Because the New Testament is that simple. Jesus told his disciples, here's what you're gonna do. Ready, ready? You're gonna partner with me and you're gonna go build the church among all people, not just Jewish people, the Gentiles, not just the people you like or who look like you or act like you or speak like you, among all people everywhere. That made them uncomfortable. But that's what he said. He said, I'm gonna build my church on you, the rock. Partner with me 
and I'm gonna trust to build this on you. And he's telling us the exact same thing. He says, I wanna partner with you in building the church among all people everywhere. You guys excited about that mission statement? Awesome. So I want us to ask this question. Well, I'm gonna fly through a few points today. You know me, it's just, this is what we do. So I'm gonna answer this. What is the church and why is it so important? What is the church? So we're gonna, if that's our bottom line of why we exist, what is the church? Because all of us have a mental image. When I say we're gonna build the church, some of you immediately went to building buildings. Some of you went to, okay, there's gonna be some people gathered. But what is the functionality of the church? Why is that such a conclusive statement and word that Jesus felt comfortable enough to say that's the point to all of this, right? What is the church and why is it so important? Number one, because it provides a purpose to live for. A purpose to live for. Many of us are familiar with the Great Commission that comes from Matthew 28, 19 and 20, right before Jesus is ascending into heaven after his resurrection. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When we see that word baptize, we think it is water. We think going under the water and coming out, it's a symbol. What we even say here is an outward demonstration of an inward transformation, and it is. But you wanna know what baptism was even more than that back then? They didn't have baptismals in, hidden away in churches where only Christians could see it. They were baptized in the courtyards of temples and the courtyards of Athens and Corinth and Jerusalem. When you got baptized back then, that was a very big deal. So what we're saying is it was a new purpose to live for because you're saying, I'm coming out in the open and this is who I am. This is gonna be my purpose. It's a purpose to live for. And so what, again, is the emphasis on coming into the body of Christ with new believers. Our great commission, though, is to go and not make converts. It never says that. It says go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. A healthy church is not just a church that says, hey, raise your hand today if you wanna receive Christ, and then gives no further next steps on what to do in order to what it looks like to grow and mature and integrate into the family of God where you are accepted, and we begin to learn and grow and move. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, but our call is to go. But we have to have purpose as we go, purpose as we go. Number two, the church is a profession to live out, a profession to live out. I looked up the definition of profession and there's like the job profession and then there's profession like out of your mouth and it's just simply this, an act of declaring. That's what it is. Profession is an act of declaring. An act of declaring. It's an identity change that becomes obvious as we live out our lives. So when we profess Christianity, it's not coming in here and saying, this is the value of the church. Remember the context of this message. Profession of our faith is saying, I am a believer, and now I'm committed over time to walking this out in my life because I have declared this is the new me. I'm not just adding a new compartment onto the old me. I've cleaned house. 
This is the new me. I have gutted the old house and we're remodeling the whole thing, right? It's the new me. It's a shift of identity. It's, it's the change of trajectory in life. I'm seeing the world differently than I did before I became a Christian. In the church, in the church, that comes to full fruition because we have people around us that inspire us, help us, hold us accountable to walking out what we profess with our mouth. But it's a profession to live out. Number three, the church provides principles to live by from the word of God. Principles to live by. The truth of the word of God, one of our core values is we speak the truth in love. We do not hold back on truth. And we never will. If the Bible says it, we are preaching it, but we are also going to approach it in a, yes, you can clap to that. We're also going to approach it in a surgical, creative way to build bridges to people where it might be a tough pill to swallow. We're gonna say the same truth, but we want you to understand you can bring your unsaved friends, friends that aren't used to church or God, and if I'm even preaching something hard, where I spend most of the time on our messages is trying to package this tough truth in an easy to swallow way where people understand this is what God's word says, but he also loves me right now, right? So the other day, principles to live by, what they do in truth is it helps us recalibrate always through changing cultures and empires that rise and fall and all the stuff in media, it keeps us constant. I was watching a movie the other day, a Gerard Butler movie. Anytime a movie comes out with him, I'm there because it's just action, it's crazy, it's clean randomly. You know, so it's like all that stuff, so I'm, I'm there. This last one I just watched, I think it's called Plane. And they crashed in a jungle and he's a pilot of a plane. Anybody see this movie? It's stressful. I, I, I like my escape from a stressful life are stressful movies. I don't know why. Mandy's like, no, I want to watch a chick, chick flick. And I'm like, no, I, I want stress because it, it's a distraction. So I'm watching this movie, and it's about a plane crash in a jungle in a hostile area. And there's a storm and lightning strikes, and they're diving, diving, diving. And, and like all their, everything's out, all their gauges, all, everything's out. And they can't, they don't know where they're at. They don't know if the plane is spinning. They don't know when it's balanced. They don't know when it's calibrated. And, you know, since Gerard Butler is just, he's, he's great at everything, you know, so he's a pilot in this movie. So he's, you know, trying to figure it all out. And he says, okay, we're gonna dive. We're gonna dive and we're gonna wait until we break the clouds from the storm. And as soon as we break, he's talking to his co-pilot, as soon as we break through the clouds, we'll be able to see the horizon, the water, we'll get a bearing on our altitude. And once we know our true north, I can make adjustments manually and know exactly how to land the plane. I know what we can do. And so he immediately takes that route. And I thought of this, in the midst of our storms and our chaos and our lives and cultural storms and all the pulling and pushing, every movie there's an agenda, every kid's movie we are having to look up now, what agendas is the world trying to shove down our kids' throats. Everywhere we go, the culture is saying, believe this, do this, act like this. What's our true north? I am sick and tired of truth changing every five to 10 years based on society telling us what we have to believe. We have a true north, but sometimes we need to get out of the clouds and remember what the sun actually looks like, recalibrate so we can understand our next move. We have to have a true north. The fourth thing, the church provides a people to live with. A people to live with. Here's the truth. Jesus expects us to be integrated, as believers, integrated into Christian community. Like I said earlier, it, it's, an, it's an expectation. We're in Christian community. From the beginning, the origin of the church, 
Christians did life together in close proximity. It is the value of Christianity. So many Christians live their lives never understanding or participating in the full value of Christian community because it's one foot in, one foot out. And it really doesn't have to be that way. Acts 2, 38 through, 30, 38 through 42 says, and Peter said to them, he's preaching, okay? He's preaching right after the Holy Spirit fills all of them, the origin of the church. And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to preach. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day. To what? What were they added to? The community of Christ. The church, they were added. They weren't added to a, a document to take attendance. They were added to a group of people. They were added. That day, about 3,000 people. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's very specific. You wanna know what Christian community is? If we keep verse 42 up, here's Christian community. When we walk into a Christian life, and this is why we can say we build the church everywhere. If this is happening, and people are experiencing what I'm about to read you, everything changes. Now look at it, we are committing ourselves to the apostles' teaching. What were they teaching? The word of God. You're not committing yourself to what I say. You're committing yourself to what God says. We're committing ourselves to what God says, the teaching, and then fellowship. We're committing ourselves to fellowship, opening ourselves up to friendship to, with people in our church, the breaking of bread, which is hospitality, not just opening myself up to the benefit of friendship, but now breaking bread means opening my home, my life, <clears throat> opening up my life to also where people can take from me. We live in a world where like, hey, I need a lot of things from people, but I don't like people taking things from me. What real community is, is both. Yeah. <clears throat> Lord, help me. So the last part of this, and with prayers, when we're in Christian community, we have people praying for us through every up and down. And when we have those things, we are full, we are filled, and the church is fully functioning. So like I mentioned, baptism is far more than just going under the water as a symbol. It's about being joined together with other baptized believers as well. Uh, Pastor Nick, a few minutes ago here in Albuquerque was talking about um, an announcement, small groups starting. And small groups are, you know, and when it's small group time in churches, if you're kind of used to church, it's like, oh, cool. You know, maybe if we have time, we'll, we'll kind of think about it or whatever. And you may not be in a season where you actually can. But let me tell you something. Small groups, um, alpha, the, these things in our church are, are life changing. And when, if you're wanting to know a practical step on what does that look like for me, jump into something. We've talked to all of our small group leaders that if somebody joins their group and it's just not, it just doesn't fit, there's no awkwardness if you don't show up the next week and you go to another group. Find your fit. No one's gonna get upset or weird. Don't get awkward. They're not gonna get awkward. They've all been there too. Jump into something. Jump into something and get the big, what Nick said, small, and it will change your life. You guys hearing me on this? It will change your life. Number five, I gotta move a lot faster. A power to live on. The church provides a power to live on. 
Acts 1-4, Jesus is ascending, or right before he ascends, he says, gathering them together, he's gathering them together. He commanded them, his disciples, not to leave Jerusalem. I preached on this a lot before this year, not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father had promised. I've got a big mission for you to build the church, but don't leave and start until the Holy Spirit comes. Acts 1-8, just a few verses later, but you will receive power, so what's this gift? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Through the gathering of believers, right, Jesus pours out his spirit. I can receive the Holy Spirit at home, in my room by myself. But how the Holy Spirit comes into full operation in the life of Christians is through the body of believers as a corporate group. It's when the Holy Spirit, my gift, is coming to fruition linked with yours, linked with the person next to you. The gift of faith, with the gift of healing, with the gift of teaching, with the gift of leadership, with the gift of prophecy. When all of these are working together, we become the fully functioning body of Christ. It's Jesus' Holy Spirit empowering us. Jesus' physical body, he went back to heaven, but he left us his spirit to empower us. The gifts of the Spirit are just pieces of Jesus's power and authority that he is giving to us to operate in our lives and in our church. It's a power to live on. Do you guys believe that today? So that's the church. That's why it's so important. But how will we build the church? So if our mission, our bottom line is to build the church, how are we going to do it? You guys got a few more points left in you? All right, let's do it. Number one is this, by keeping all endeavors gospel-focused. That, that, that seems common sense, but there's so much pressure in the world today for churches to get involved in things where the end game is not a matter of eternity, where the end game is not the gospel being spoken, where people's lives can change here, yes, but what's more important than people's lives changing here? people's lives changing forever. Their life begins to change now through Jesus Christ and we have an eternal home secured in heaven. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that radically changes lives here and gives them eternal security forever, forever. And it has to be. So we keep all endeavors gospel focused. The good news is we're already doing this. That's the good news. But we're going, that's why I said keeping. Keeping all endeavors gospel focused. He gave his disciples a very interesting command when he was teaching them what this was gonna look like when they were future church builders. He gave them a metaphor. The metaphor is the vine and the branches. Jesus is telling them, he's saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches. <clears throat> and the call is for you to bear much fruit that will remain. I'm gonna read it to you. I have called you friends for everything that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that the Father may give you whatever you ask him in my name. Your fruit should remain. This is why I'm reading this little section, is that word remain, when you look at it in the original language, that is remaining for eternity. It's not remaining for a minute, that it'll remain for an hour or for a year or for a lifetime, you're gonna bear much fruit that will remain. The only way that the vines can produce, us, the church, 
from the branch. Everything is flowing from the branch to the vines and then the fruit. The only way we can produce fruit that lasts for eternity in every endeavor that we do is that the end game is Jesus came to die for our sins. He is the only way to heaven. It doesn't mean we knock on the door of a school and go, excuse me, sir, principal, um, did you know that Jesus came to die for your sins? And the only way you can go and live it, no, 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 because principals will just shut the door in our face. That's why our vision statement says we are committed to the spiritual and physical renewal of cities and nations. We do believe there is a high calling to bring heaven to earth now with no strings attached. But I'll tell you something, there are, no, there are no manipulative strings ever attached to anything we do in the community, but one thing we have always been committed with and we will always be committed with is we will preach the gospel when we can and we will make it clear what we believe, who we are, what we stand for, and bridges will always be built. Do you guys like that? Yeah? Number two, number two, how will we build the church? Establishing new churches in hard to reach places. I've got big, I believe, God dreams. Our leadership team, we have big God dreams. I would love, I'm just gonna throw it out here. Here you go, ready, here it is. I would love when we're done with the North Campus in the next few years to build a larger West Side Campus. I would love to build a larger West Side Campus. Yep, I think it's exciting too. And then start going to cities, planting churches, not only in big cities in America, but planting churches in all different parts of the world, among tribes in different parts of Africa and South America, Asia. But I, what I want is to lift the lid off of anyone in our church, anyone associated to our organization. I just wanna tell you, dream God dreams. Dream big dreams. Tell your kids right now when they're five and six years old that they can do anything God has called them to do because we're gonna have a church that's gonna have a pipeline and we're gonna be a church that's gonna train them when they get to be in high school, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, when they say, I feel like God is calling me to be a missionary, we say, we've got the church, the funding, and the people to back you on that. I feel like God's calling me to plant a church in Phoenix and Denver and different parts of the country. We've got committed people with generosity that are tied to your vision as well. Let's jump on this and see what God can do. I love this. Romans 15, 20 and 21 says, Paul's writing this. I always want to preach the good news in places where people have never heard Christ because I do not want to build on the work of someone else, what someone else has already started. But it is written in the scriptures, he's referencing Isaiah 52, those who were not told, not told about him will see, and those who have not heard about him will understand. That's the bottom line of why we build churches, so people can see Jesus and understand the path toward him and what Jesus wants them to do in this world. Everyone has a purpose from Jesus, and that's what the church provides. Number three, how are we going to do it? By resourcing and strengthening existing churches. We just got uh, through with the rally conference this week, and what's so amazing is we had 38 different churches represented at the rally conference this week. 38 different churches. We launched Co-Church um, a year and a half ago. It's growing and expanding. Our resources are growing and expanding. We are committed to this. I, we are, I, I promise, hopefully, if you've been coming for very long, you get our heart on this. I love Citizen Church. I just do. But you wanna know what I love more than Citizen Church? The church. I just do. I love pastors. I love pastors. I love other churches. I go on vacation and go to other churches just to experience them, learn from them, be inspired by them, different styles, whatever. 
I love the church, and I feel like churches are called to build and invest into other churches, helping them, strengthen them, inspire them any way we can, because we have also been the recipients of this. Someone asked me the other day, what I think, what I attribute some of our recent, um, you know, coming out of the pandemic, some of our recent growth and, you know, I, success is a weird word, but like growth and just health in the church. Somebody says, so what do you attribute this to? And often when other pastors ask that, what they're wanting is like a three bullet point, like here's exactly what we did. Go do this, go buy that, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it was a screen. No, that, that grew the church. No, it doesn't. Okay, so it's like, all, that, that's what they want, like bullet points. But wanna know what I said? So I know this is gonna sound so maybe odd, I don't think it's odd. Really, the first one is emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, it's being open-handed with generosity. I said, I stand on our stage every week and tell our congregation as individuals, the more generous you are, the more you do this with what you have, the more God will pour in. And if it's true for individuals, it's true for the church. And the more we give and the more our church is open-handed with other churches, when churches call, there was a church that called a few weeks ago, their entire sound system just completely fell apart, broke. They had no sound system. We called and I said, how much is it? And he told us, I had a few conversations. We were fine to do it. We sent them the check. They got their sound system. They sent me a video of, of their sound the next Sunday morning of, of worship and their congregation is back in there. And I'm sitting there going, I'm not, I'm not worried about investing a few thousand dollars into another church. Our God is so much bigger than that. And so if we live open-handed and we're generous, I'm telling you, we are exist. How we're gonna do it is resourcing and strengthening other existing churches. Number four, discipling believers and training leaders. Discipling believers and training leaders. Matthew 16, 18, famous, famous, famous um, passage. And I'm, I'm, I'm holding back, diving into this because I'm, we're doing a series leading in Easter. I'm doing a whole Sunday on this. I'm, I'm having self-control right now. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not over." It. You know, he told Peter this about halfway through his ministry. Peter was not a rock, and he was not ready, and was not fully discipled, and he was not a fully trained leader until actually after Jesus resurrected. Peter had a lot of work, but what Jesus was saying is he was casting a vision for what the future could look like, and then he was saying, but we've got some work to do. And that's the same thing for us. Discipleship has always been one of the weakest elements of any church out there. How do we get people trained and discipled and become disciple makers? And how, how do we do this in the church? And we are working and working and working. So much of that is through small groups and alpha. But there are ideas and things that are happening that we are working on right now and hopefully unveiling this year because it, yet it has to be some kind of system but what I don't want us to be is a church that is just completely reliant on, on the staff and pastoral team to say, here's a new system, here's a new system. What I would love is for systems to start inspiring us more and more and more just to get to know people that are newer to the faith and say, come over to our house for dinner. Have, let's start forming friendships and start this organic discipleship of pouring your life into other people, newly married couples. I mean, they're, they're being poured into by people who have been married for 20 and 30 years, helping them through what it looks like to be a believer. That's what organic discipleship is. And I believe we can be a church that does that. The Great Commission I read a few minutes ago, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, therefore, go, 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 go. That's a big, 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 bold statement. But if we're gonna go, 
If people are gonna go, if what I said a few minutes ago, we all clapped, if we're gonna lift the lid on people dreaming God dreams and, and people going, then there's gotta be a whole lot of people staying or there can be an ending to people going. You know what I mean? Like, we gotta have a whole lot of people that are like, all right, just like, you know, what I was talking about in Greece, like God's calling me to stay so other people can go. And that's just the truth. That's that symbiotic relationship. And that's what we get when people are discipled and they're trained. They have very specific ideas of what God is telling them to do. And we're really seeking God. God will say, stay, go, stay, go. One of the things we say often, and Mandy and I have talked about this a lot with what we celebrate, what we celebrate with our staff, what we celebrate with our volunteers, even for people in the congregation. We don't celebrate staying or leaving. We celebrate obedience. We want, we want to celebrate people saying yes to God. When God says it, I obey it. And that's what this church will celebrate. When people are, feel called to go, and, it's, and it is, I mean, we get people together in the church. One of the things that's so interesting too is personal callings in scripture were found in the church, validated by the church, and sent out by the church. There are no examples in the New Testament of personal callings not being found in the church, validated by the church, and sent out by the church. It's not just I'm walking down the street going, God told me, and we go to the pastor, God told me, so this is what you're gonna do. Like, that's not how it works. How it works is I feel like God is speaking this to me. I'm gonna get some church people around me and have them walk through this with me over the next few months, validating it, confirming it. And when it's validated and confirmed by believers, then we step back and get a game plan for it to be sent out by the church. That's how callings are found. So we celebrate obedience. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says this. He also gave apostles. This is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. He also gave apostles, prophets, missionaries, as well as pastors and teachers as gifts to his church. I'm a gift. I'm sorry. Okay, so as gifts. <laughs> gifts to the church. But here's what's interesting. Their purpose, their purpose is to equip God's people to do God's work and to build up the body of Christ. I, I, I'll never forget when I first became a senior pastor. Um, there, there was a conversation I had with a guy he was a little rude. It's okay. And he was like, just like, I'm, I'm told, I like doing things for people. He was so just like, dude, you have to do this, do this right now. You're the pastor. This is what you do. This is why you're here. This is your job right now. I mean, just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm at dinner with my family. You know, no, like you're my pastor. This is what you do. And I was just like, okay, well, yes, this is my job. And I love people, but I also, I like my family a lot. Yeah, I love my family, and I like family dinner a lot, and trying to find the balance, but this is what the beauty of all of this, is that it was never supposed to be the pastor man as Superman of the church, that I have to pray for everybody, and I have to, I love it, I love it. The beauty of the church is when we understand, I have nothing special about me more than you have about you. The same power that flows through me is absolutely the same power that flows, flows through you with the Holy Spirit. And so the job of pastors and church leaders is to empower the people, to disciple the people, to disciple more people, and to be the church leaders. You're a church leader, just like me. That's all of our job. We all build churches. We all lead churches. That's what we do. That's what we do, and I just think it's amazing that Paul puts emphasis on that. Our purpose, pastor's purpose, is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up. It's our mission statement. To build up the body 
of Christ. It's all of our jobs. It's all of our jobs. I love this quote from a man um, who wrote this quote in the 1920s. His name's A.B. Simpson. He said this, the Christian that is bound by his own horizon, the church that lives simply for itself, is bound to die a spiritual death and sink into stagnancy and corruption. We never can thank God enough for giving us not only a whole gospel to believe, but a whole world to give it to. I love this quote so much. What makes me so happy is this is, it's always been who our church has been. The mission statement today isn't anything new. It's been the mission long before I became the pastor. We're putting words to what we've already been doing, which is so exciting. But what it allows us to do is have this rifle approach instead of a shotgun approach to where we know the bottom line of what we do, how we build ministries, how we build up new leaders. We're gonna constantly be thinking, who could the next youth pastor be? Who could the next youth pastor be? Who could the youth pastor be after that? What five-year-old, what group of five-year-olds in there could be the next youth pastors? You wanna know who I got to come into the green room today to pray for me for my throat? Nick and Marion's nine-year-old daughter, Hazel. Said, Hazel, will you come pray for me? You wanna know why? The same power that flows through her dad flows through her. She's got faith. Little kids have faith. The kids that are in that youth ministry are the future pastors and missionaries and future business leaders, future CEOs that are gonna build the church. I think the greatest church builders in the church aren't even pastors. They're not even worship leaders. Honestly, I don't even think they're missionaries. It's the people that support them. It's the business owners. It's the employees. It's the single moms, single dads that are faithful in generosity, that latch on to an endeavor and say, I wanna be a part of that. I wanna give to it. I, I, I told my dad the other day, I was saying, when we get to heaven one day, my house will be nothing compared to the mansions of people in this room who have sacrificed so much for the expansion of our ministries and the gospel around the world. I'm telling you, we all build the church. And I'll say this, yeah, we all build the church. We don't want a church. We don't wanna build a church that moves with the world. We want a church that moves the world. I wanna build a church that moves the world. I wanna read one more scripture and then I'll pray and we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 3, five through nine says, after all, this is Paul talking, who is even Paul? Who is Apollos? No more than servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord gave us, gave each man his opportunity. I may have done the planting and Apollos the watering. Those who stay, do the watering. Those who plant might go, right? But it was God who made the seed grow. The planter and the water are nothing compared with him who gives life to the seed. Planter and water are alike insignificant, though each small, each, each shall be rewarded according to his particular work. I love this, ready? It's part of our mission statement. In this work, we partner with God. And that means that you are a field under God's cultivation, or if you like, a house being built to his plan. So what Paul is saying is, it's all him. He makes it grow, but he calls some of us to plant and some of us to water. Jesus told Peter, 
I'm gonna build my church, but it's gonna be through your work. We partner with God to build the church among all people everywhere. We partner with God to build the church among all people everywhere. I wanna challenge you today to see how you fit into that. I wanna challenge you to lift the lid off of God dreams again. Dream again. Say, God, what dreams did you put in my heart when I was a teenager, a child? No one is ever too old. You're never too far gone with any mistakes in the past, whatever it might be. I want you to go home this week and say, if this is the vision, what's my part to play? Is it going? Is it staying? Is it dreaming of something? Is it financially investing? Is it helping mentor, disciple? What is it? What's my role to play as we build the church and fulfill the Great Commission all around the world? And let me tell you something, don't ever count out the kids, the teenagers, the young adults. We should be pouring into the next generation like never before because some of the greatest church leaders in the entire nation are coming to our kids' ministry every single week. I, I believe it with my whole heart. Do you guys believe that today? Awesome. Well, I wanna pray over you, and I'm so glad I made it through this sermon. I might even try the 10 o'clock. Hazel's prayer works. I wanna pray with you guys today and just hopefully this message is encouraging to you and inspiring to you to go home and dream again. Tell your kids to dream and God will speak. God will speak. Both campuses, let's pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for today. And God, I pray for everyone right now sitting in that auditorium in Maui. Dream God dreams again. We are in this together, both campuses. God, in this room today, Dream God dreams again. This is our bottom line, what the New Testament said to do. We're partnering with you to build the church among all people everywhere. We will take them the good news and your gospel. Be with us and strengthen us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said.